0: using creative methods for transformation using creative methods for transformation and for this we're going to talk about two of the lojong slogans the lojong slogans are and i've said this before they're sort of like proverbs they're things that we want to have them in our minds when we need them when a situation comes up and we need them okay so Using Creative Methods for Transformation. We're going to talk about, first of all, um, this is the Lojong slogan, the first one we're going to talk about. The four applications are the supreme method. The four applications are the supreme method. And that, uh, Buddhism is full of lists. If you don't like lists, um, this may be a struggle for you, actually. Because this has a list inside a list. But Buddhism is full of lists, you know? And that is sort of a part of the reason is because the beginning of the Buddhist tradition was not written down. Uh, They just, the monks would just recite teachings to each other and memorize them. And lists are easier to memorize. And I think that tradition has carried through. So in my opinion, that's why Buddhism is full of lists. That being said, well, in this case, memorization is good for us because memorizing these or rather being able to call them to our minds when we need them is really helpful to us. Um, So that's why Buddhism is full of lists. So these four applications and uh, two of them are going to sound really unusual to you. Maybe. So four applications are number one, gaining accumulations. That sounds kind of weird too. Number two, purifying obscurations. Number three, offering tormas to gods and demons. And number four, offering tormas to dakinis and dharma protectors. Okay, so this this right away, it sounds like not what we expect from Buddhism. Offerings? Offerings to gods? What? Right? Some people think... uh, Buddhism is very secular, and there aren't such things in the tradition, and that's just, that's not, there are things like that in the tradition. That said, though, I'm going to talk about how we can use these kinds of things skillfully without necessarily thinking of them as physical, real beings, okay? But we'll get there. First, we're going to talk about gathering accumulations. And this is... A Fancy way of saying this is what we're doing when we're trying to live in a virtuous way. When we're trying to do good things and help others. Helping others actually helps us when we're facing adversity. Um, there was a... There's a Zen story. Uh, and I'm going to bring it up here only because I think it's uh, really instructive to what we're talking about here. But there's a Zen story and this really is purported to have happened, but this student he went to his teacher and he said, Teacher, I'm I'm just feeling incredibly discouraged. I'm feeling incredibly discouraged. I don't know if if what we're doing, I don't know if we can do anything to make the world a better place or to become more mindful or anything. And the teacher and so the student says, What should I do? I'm very discouraged. And the teacher says, encourage others, encourage others. And I'm telling you that because I believe that works. I believe encouraging other people encourages us. I believe doing good deeds when you're facing adversity actually makes the adversity a little bit easier. And when things are hard is when we need virtue, when we need ethics the most because when things are hard are when we start letting our, our uh, virtue slide a little, right? When things are hard, it's way easier to make excuses to, to not do the right thing. Way easier. So that's really when we need virtue the most. It can be easier to have a lot of virtue when things are going well. Maybe not, though. Maybe not, though. But it's especially easy to give in to temptation when things are going hard going badly, right? So, the second one is purifying obscurations. We this is when we work to get rid of our causes of suffering by working on our habitual thinking. Because our habitual thinking can not only create suffering but also escalate it. And we have this habit of making our suffering worse. There's this teaching called the second arrow, and the idea behind that teaching is um, the first – this is a metaphor. The first arrow is when something happens, and it hurts you, and it makes you suffer, okay? And the second arrow, though, is when you just start to obsess about how something bad happened and how you're suffering and how – oh, poor me. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe this is happening to me type attitude, and that kind of attitude – I don't shame anyone for having that kind of attitude. Again, this is about you learning how to transform yourself. It's not about anyone else judging you. It's about you judging yourself. But the thing about that kind of attitude is it can make a painful situation. Sometimes quite a bit worse, sometimes quite a bit worse. So the second arrow is when we're suffering and we start suffering more severely. I, um, I'll try to keep this short. Uh, this one time, I noticed my tire was going flat on my car. It's slowly going flat. So I took it to Quick Trip. I filled it with air. Uh, if you live in Missouri or Kansas, in the Missouri, Kansas area, you know about Quick Trip. It's a gas station that's everywhere and they have free air. But anyway, plug, plug. But anyway, um, so I go there and I fill up my tire. And the next day, my tire's getting low again. So I know. Oh, there's a leak in my tire, right? So I had to take time off work. And I had to... I was going to take my car. I did take my car to a place called Discount Tire, which allows walk-ins. And the thing is, though, that that leaky tire, that's my first arrow. But my second arrow is what I'm thinking about as I'm taking my car to Discount Tire. Because I've got this running story in my head that's going, Okay, well, I'm going to get there and... I probably need a new tire and that's going to cost a lot of money and they may not even have it in stock, right? So I may have to take multiple days off work trying to get a tire on my car. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be annoying. It's going to be a headache. Okay. That's my second arrow. I'm just obsessing. I'm just making myself really unhappy based on what could happen. Okay. And I get there. I get there and they just patch up the tire. It takes about 10 minutes and I'm on my way and they did not charge me because I bought my tires there. That's great, right? So that second arrow for me was letting myself get carried away with telling stories, telling negative stories. That's, that's what that is. So how though, I want to share with you a list of how we can purify our obscurations. A list, you see? A list within a list. This is called the four powers. Powers makes it sound really powerful. And it is really powerful. I wouldn't use the word powers though. But these are the things we do uh, that help us eliminate the causes of suffering in our habitual thinking because that's what this is about. Okay? The first is regret. We want to reflect Reflect on all the things we've done to create suffering. Okay? Uh, It's sort of like confession, but you're just confessing to yourself. And reflecting in this way motivates growth. Because uh, the fact of the matter is, doing things that create suffering can very easily create a habit and lead us to doing more things that create suffering. And how do we fight that? Well, we got to reflect on what we're doing and know what we're doing why we're doing it, when we have the wrong motivation, when we're hurting other people, all that stuff. This motivates us to grow and be better. When we reflect on the harm we've caused, it can motivate us to be better. And we don't, sometimes it's very uncomfortable to reflect on all the things we've done. But let me tell you something. Growing as a person, growing as a person can make us anxious because it's uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. Uh, I would argue not growing is uncomfortable too, but growth is uncomfortable in a different way and not a way that we're used to. We are used to not growing, which is, has a different kind of discomfort, although it is uncomfortable because we're still in the world of suffering. We're still going to suffer. Okay? Okay. So the second of the four powers is resolve. Resolve. And that is when we become determined not to commit those actions again. And we can, we can speak it into, into power. We can speak it into power and say, I will not do that again. I will not take that thing I didn't earn again. I will not betray that person again. I will not do these things again. You can say it out loud even, but it's when we set that intention we declare, we're not going to do that anymore. Okay. So the third of the four powers is support. Support. And this is where a spiritual community can help us. But actually, several different things can help us. In Buddhism, we talk about taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And I'm going to tell you what those three are. The Buddha is the historical figure that founded Buddhism, but it is also your own inner potential for awakening, which you have because you're a human being, okay? You have a positive and awake true nature and we just have to uncover it, okay? And the Dharma is those teachings and methods that help us transform our suffering, transform our minds, okay? So including these mind training teachings we're talking about right now and including silent meditation practice and including Tonglen practice. All these things are parts of the Dharma. And it also does include like studying. So reading sutras, reading sacred texts. Those are included in the Dharma as well. And those do help us not only uh, because if we read a story about a great, great master, for example, that inspires us, that can be aspirational. And but also... Like, a lot of the things we struggle with, some of these ancient texts have similar things in them. It can be a surprise sometimes when you find something in an ancient text that sort of matches the struggle you're having. That can be a surprise. And then the last is the Sangha, which I really want to tell you is a great and wonderful thing. That is the community. That is um, other people who are engaged in the same efforts at growth that we are. That's how I want to define it. So... I have a Sangha. I go to the Rime Buddhist Center in Kansas City, Missouri. And I really recommend it. If you're anywhere nearby, start showing up. Uh, I go to a lot of Wednesday night meditation and the Sunday service. But there are meditations and events all the time, it seems like, there. And it is a great community to be involved in. But more than that, wherever you are, I believe you can find some. The point is to be out there spending time with people that have the same kind of goals for growth that you do because we can take on the habits of the people we spend a lot of time with and so we can choose if we want to spend time with people that are trying to grow or people that are not right i used to spend a lot of time with a guy i used to have a friend who i spent a lot of time with who like made fun of people and put people down all the time and that was not good for me that's not the kind of friend i want So I don't see that person anymore. And we can reflect on those kinds of relationships that we have because you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. You know what I mean? So I really like that saying, you can't change the people around you because you can't make people change, but you can change the people around you by deciding who to be around. Okay. So. Finally, the fourth power is remedy, and these are the antidotes that we use to transform our minds. So practices like Tonglen or silent meditation or chanting, anything we do that's designed to help us transform our minds is the remedy. And so all of these teachings, these mind training teachings we're talking about right this moment, these are the remedy. These are the remedy. Okay? Okay. They fall under the category of Dharma and also under the category of remedy because the point of all this is to take us somewhere and help us grow. That is the point. This is goal-oriented. So um, I'm going to give a very brief, uh, very, very short guided meditation practice from the book The Power of Mind by Kendra Lodrote. And I want you to just take a moment. This is called a formal purification practice, okay? Take a moment. And I'm going to read from the book now, and I quote. Start by sitting down and settling the mind. When you are ready... Cultivate your motivation by generating bodhicitta, the mind of awakening. Then, develop the intention to purify the causes of your hardship. Acknowledge that your current circumstances are the result of past negative actions and set your intention to purify them. Generate the power of the support, of regret, and of resolve and then meditate on relative or absolute bodhicitta as the power of the remedy. Conclude with dedication and aspirations. You can do this by just declaring, Dedicate the merit of your practice to all living beings, then dedicate it specifically to purify the causes of your hardship. This is called the application of purifying obscurations. End quote. So I want to encourage you to just repeat after me. I dedicate any merit from this practice to all living beings. Furthermore, I dedicate any merit to purifying the causes of my hardship. So now we will move on to talking about the last two of the four, what are these called? Applications. Okay. So uh, the third one, offering Tormas to gods and demons. Now, if you're like me, as soon as you hear something like this, uh, sort of a tickle gets in your mind, and you think, "Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to learn about gods and demons," and you may think that way. I definitely, really strongly felt that way when I first started practicing Buddhism, and I have a softer view now. But we're going to talk about it. Tormas, what are they? These are offerings. Like for food offerings, for example, you go to your shrine and you put a piece of fruit in front of it, something like that. The traditional teaching is that these beings are real and offering things to them helps keep them out of your way, keep them from bothering you when you're trying to grow and transform yourself, right? So are they literally real? I don't know. I, in my practice, I offer incense. And what that does for me is it helps me to get my mind into a meditative state. But it did feel really silly for a while. But I do. I offer incense. Okay. And then the last one is offering to Dakinis and Dharma protectors. Offering Tormas to Dakinis and Dharma protectors. So these are uh, considered like spiritual beings that want to be helpful to us. Okay, that's what that's what they are. I'm not going to go into incredible detail on what the difference is or what they're like, but if we make offerings, I believe, to these beings that we aspire to be like because these are awakened beings, it's a form of intention setting and can also make us feel connected to them. Even if we take them as metaphorical, we can still feel connected to them and that can sort of supercharge our practice can supercharge our practice. So if we make offerings to uh, the Bodhisattva chenrizi or the Bodhisattva Green Tara, we can choose to believe these beings literally exist in some realm, but we don't need to for this to be useful. This can charge our practice because it connects us, makes us feel a connection to something greater than us that we're aspiring to be more like. Okay. Okay. So those were the four applications. I'm going to talk about the next slogan now, and it'll be a little bit shorter than that first one. And it is this immediately join whatever you encounter to the training. And I think I think we know that. I think we've talked about how that is the whole point of these teachings. The whole point of these Lojong slogans is when I need To reflect on this slogan, it comes to my mind. That's the whole point. Not the whole point, but that's a big purpose of them being so short and a lot of them are easy to remember like this one. We tend to forget to practice when big things are happening. We get, especially big bad things, we get so caught up in things that we forget to join everything in our experience with love, compassion, and wisdom. Unexpected circumstances really get in our way. I can tell you when COVID uh, happened, started. When you know, when there was a lot of uncertainty and places were getting locked down, and everybody was talking about how scary COVID was, and the vaccine was n- vaccines were not on our radar at all because it was still new, and nobody was talking about things going to normal ever again. And I felt isolated. I noticed. I had stopped meditating because because I wasn't going to work. My routine was broken. Because my routine was broken, I was not meditating at all anymore. And that is how we are when big things happen. That is how we are. We we put down these teachings exactly exactly when we need them the most. Exactly when. So Kentral Lodrote, he says, and I quote, To train with this point, focus on the stuff that pops out out of nowhere, like when you are elbowed while walking down a busy street or when someone gives you news you don't like. Because it's unexpected, you react without thinking. Until the habit of mind training is strong, unexpected circumstances are going to be tricky to deal with. We have such a long-standing tendency to react with disturbing emotions and negative actions. So every morning, Set the intention to immediately join whatever you encounter to mind training and check it throughout the day. When necessary, reset your commitment. Visualize yourself reacting to surprising circumstances with mind training. If something happens and you forget to practice, imagine yourself back in that situation. But this time, see yourself remembering to apply the mind training. Train continuously in this way, and over time, a good habit will form. It will become easier and easier to practice when unexpected things happen, but you must train over and over again. Just keep going. So, what we learn here, end quote, what we learn here is that opportunities for practicing, there's no limit to opportunities for practicing mind training. Because we can practice when we're meditating on the cushion. We can practice when we're out in the world. What it comes down to, what it's all about is this. We want to be able to, in every situation, consider all living beings. If we're seeing conditions for ourselves and others that are painful, we want to work to generate compassion. And if we see conditions for ourselves and others that are joyful, we want to generate loving kindness. And in this way, we're learning to shift our focus from ourselves to others, from ourselves to others, because focusing on others, uh, ironically, brings us happiness. It does. And focusing on ourselves all the time doesn't bring us happiness because we can't get everything we want. We can't. So we want to study as many mind training methods, methods of working with the mind as we can. And we want to study and contemplate teachings like these so that we remember them. And so we remember them clearly and so that we can have faith in them. We can know that they have value and benefit by remembering them clearly. Once they start working out for us, we can have a lot of faith in them. And that can that can basically defeat it when we are uh, trying to make excuses, trying to justify not training our minds, trying to justify not showing compassion. that That faith in the teachings really helps us. And it's true that developing these these skills is hard. It takes time, and it takes a lot of determination, and it's very easy to quit. But if we practice, if we apply these methods again and again, we're going to develop habits. And this reinforces the antidotes to our suffering. And it helps us sort of appreciate the teachings more. So, I'm going to now uh, read to you this passage on just reflecting on creative methods. Reflecting on creative methods, okay? Okay. So this is from, again, The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodroté. He says, and I quote, When facing adversity, remember that everything you experience is a result produced from its specific cause, and that everything you do is a cause which will produce a future result. Therefore, actively participate in the causes of happiness by engaging in positive, loving, and compassionate actions. Go out and commit random acts of kindness. Give your time, energy, or resources to people that need help or to organizations that help others. Purposefully compliment people you encounter in all walks of life and look for opportunities to practice kindness. Acknowledge that the causes for all unwanted circumstances are negative thoughts and actions. Then counteract those habitual imprints by engaging in purification practice following the steps provided in this chapter. If you have teachings and understanding of the last two applications, you may add them to your activities as well. Otherwise, it is sufficient to focus on just the first two applications. So he is saying essentially that if these, these two things about making offerings, he could even predict that this could feel weird for us and be complicated and confusing. And he's even saying like, Hey, if you're not at a place where, if you're at a place where that is really hard, just you can focus on gathering accumulations and purifying obscurations. It's not like there's not plenty of that to do, right? So that is it for today. Thank you for taking the time to listen and have a good day. Thank you for listening and have a good day.